A few years ago, the Australian Governor-General invited some homeless kids to spend the day at Government House. And those kids got to enjoy everything that, the, that they wouldn't normally enjoy, the grounds, the food, the swimming pool. And after the day, one of the boys was interviewed on TV and he was so excited by what happened. He was saying, the house is so big, everything was so beautiful, the food was fantastic, the pool was great. The Governor-General even lent me his swimming togs so I could swim in his pool. <laughs> and the reporter says to the boy, wow, you couldn't want for anything more. And straight away the kid said, yeah, I wish he would adopt me. <laughs> See, it's one thing to experience all that for a day. But then they all had to go back to their old life. It would be another thing altogether to be adopted by the Governor-General and that would be yours every day. And that, in a sense, is what God has done for us. In the passage today we're looking at, it talks about us being made the sons and daughters of God. Let's have a look at it in Romans 8, verse 15. This is talking about what happens when we trust Jesus. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That passage they're saying that if you have put your trust in Jesus, which is what we've been thinking about over the past few weeks of Romans, yes, with that comes forgiveness and a new life now, but also part of being God's children is that we have adoption, we have a future inheritance that we're waiting for. And the way Paul puts it here in verse 17 is that we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, what Jesus is inheriting, we are inheriting. We get to share in Christ's glory. And today's passage simply wants to excite us about that future. Today's passage wants us to be clear about that future so that we will be able to negotiate the ups and downs of life now. Because we live in a time when we're waiting waiting for that day. And while we wait, there'll be suffering. And that's what the rest of the passage deals with. Look again in verse 17 of Romans 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's a bit like Al mentioned earlier. We're following what Jesus went through. He suffered and then entered into glory. And the Bible wants us to be very clear that while we wait for Jesus to return, life will be hard. And there may be times when we feel like giving up. And this chapter is here to show us that it will be worth it. The wait will be worth it. And the passage works in two halves. You can see them on your outline there. Firstly, we're going to think about our waiting for glory. 
and then we're going to think about the confidence that we have while we wait. So firstly, we are waiting. We live in a world that is full of suffering. And Paul's not just talking about Christians here. The whole of creation is groaning. Let's pick it up in verse 19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. See, creation was once good. It's been subject to frustration for a time because of our sin, but one day that will be gone. That there is a pretty graphic description, though, of the pain, isn't it? Paul says this creation is groaning like the pains of childbirth. So I haven't been through that myself, but I can remember when we went to hospital various times when leading up to the time when Jill was having our children, and the sounds coming out of some of those rooms, my gosh, it sent shivers down my spine. It was like a torture chamber. There were deep, deep groans that went on forever. There were screams. It was enough to put you off anyway. But those groans, they have something coming at the end, don't they? Birthing pains. They are leading up to the birth of a child, to new life. Paul here says the whole of creation is groaning like in the pains of childbirth. Extreme pain, but leading up to a day when God will fix it up. The very fabric of this world is groaning, is the way Paul paints the picture. I mean, look at the news on TV, listen to the radio, look at the terrible extreme events that go on in this world. Out there, in other nations, in the environment, in individuals, in people's lives that we know, they are all signs that this world is broken. And they're all pointing forward to the fact that this world needs to be rescued. There's something wrong with this world. You can't look out there and say, I love it exactly how it is. It's a perfect world. You can't say that. Romans 8.20 calls it frustrated. Verse 21, bondage to decay. And verse 22 says that it's groaning. See, we know that it should be better. We want it to be better. Creation itself longs to be better. I don't know if any of you listen to Philip Adams. He's the lovely, gentle, soothing voice you might hear on ABC Radio when you're driving home late at night. It's a dangerous voice to have on when you're driving at night. It's so soothing. I love his voice. But Philip Adams is an atheist, and this is an article that he wrote in The Australian a few years ago where he describes the way that an atheist views the world. He says, I believe and have always believed that life is totally meaningless and that we have no destiny no purpose, no author. We just are. For a little while, anyway, then we aren't. 
And then he goes on to talk about how there's no right and wrong and so on. According to an atheist like Philip Adams, there's nothing wrong with the world. Because we are just a bunch of random atoms bumping around and that's just the way it is. And for the true atheist, if there's no God, there can't be anything wrong with this world because there's no purpose. There is no right and wrong. A person dying is no different to stepping on an ant, is no different to a a bacteria being squashed by a rock. The Bible says, no. We actually know there's something wrong in this world. You can't say there's no purpose. We can feel it in the very fabric of the universe. It's not the way it's meant to be. And Paul says here, it's as if creation itself knows that something's wrong. It's groaning, it's longing for the day when it will be set free. And if that's true of creation in general, it's especially true for us as followers of Jesus who have had God speak to us about the future. Because as Christians too, we are groaning. Because we know there's something better coming. Look at verse 23. Not only so, not only is the whole of creation groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, this is a little bit what we were thinking about last week. We were thinking about how God has given us his Spirit, showing us how to live, but we're stuck in these bodies of sin. And we still do things wrong, and we don't want to do that. It's actually hard work at times trying to follow the leading of God's spirit and do the right thing. And so we're looking forward to the day when our bodies will be redeemed. In other words, when Jesus comes and these bodies will be transformed and they will match the desires of the spirit of God that's already in us. We've already tasted God's goodness, but we know there's more. And we live in that tension now of sin, don't we? Longing for that day to come. How good will it be to be completely free from sin? To be with God in all his glory, free from all the troubles of this world. That's what's waiting for us in the future. But it's not here yet, and so we're waiting. Creation is waiting. We are waiting God himself is waiting, everything is waiting, looking forward to that day when Jesus returns in his glory. Which brings us up to the second point on your outline there, confidence as we wait. If you're anything like me, waiting can be hard. I get impatient just sitting at a traffic light in Dubbo when you've got to wait about 20 seconds for it to turn green. Uh, I get impatient waiting for the... 30-second ad break to finish on TV, that can be hard, can't it? Waiting for the new creation, that's especially hard. Not just because of the time, but because of what happens to us while we wait. Because life at times is cruel, isn't it? It can be hard. Bad things happen. And sometimes we may feel like giving up. Paul wants to give us confidence in all of that. Confidence that God has his hand on us, 
God is looking after us, which makes our future absolutely certain. Look at verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also be predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Paul, he's talking to Christians, followers of Jesus, and he's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, God's plan in the end is for you to share in his glory. That's where this uh, trail of events works up to. Uh, sharing with God in his glory at the end of verse 30 there. But God's plan for you started way back before you even heard about Jesus. And Paul wants to take us on that journey from beginning to end to see how God's plan unfolds. And it begins there in verse 29. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. It starts way back before the world began when God knew that you would be his. He predestined you. Pre means before, destined your destiny. He decided your destiny beforehand. And the destiny is, destiny is described in verse 29, that you would be made like Jesus. That's where everything is headed. When Jesus returns, you will be made like him. That's the destination. And having set that as your certain future, he then called you. Those he predestined, he also called. Okay, he does that through the good news of the gospel, the message we've been hearing about in Romans, about how God wants to forgive us. See, God did that. God called you. God put someone in your life to tell you about Jesus. Some way or other, God caused, caused you to hear the news about Jesus. He called you. And after you heard and believed the good news, the next step is that he justified you. Those he called, he justified. Which is what we saw in Romans 3. He made you right with him. See, it wasn't up, for you, up to you to make yourself good enough to God. No, God washed you of your sin. He gave Jesus to die for you. He made you right with himself. He justified you. He did it. And having been um, instigating everything from every step of the way, he predestined you, he called you, he justified you. The final step is that when Jesus returns, you will be glorified. And being glorified means to be made fully like Jesus. New bodies, no sin. Now, that last one actually hasn't happened yet. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So the glory is coming in the future. But did you notice it's as if it's so certain here that Paul has talked about it as if it's happened. He said he's, they've also glorified. That's because he's so sure about it. That there is God's purpose. That is God's plan from beginning to end. He did it. He chose you, he called you, he justified you, and he will glorify you. That's the plan. That's what he's working towards in your life, in all things. Verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good 
of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That purpose. When Paul says there, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That purpose, the good that God is working, is what he goes on to explain in verse 29 and 30 that we just thought about. The good is that in all things you are being made like Jesus and will share in his glory. There's nothing better that you could ask for. And it's it's actually quite important to see that that's what Paul is talking about here. The good that God brings about in our present suffering is future-oriented. Because this verse in Romans 8.28, it's a bit of a favourite for people. You see it on the back of the toilet door with ducklings and things. And sometimes people trivialise this by trying to find some little piece of good in whatever suffering is going on in our life now, a little piece of good that we can see that comes out of everything we suffer. You know, have you, have you sort of uh, heard that idea before? When bad things happen, we're trying to look for a, a silver lining on the cloud to say, oh, that's God working for good here. You know, maybe God's put me here in this tough situation so that I can help someone else in a similar situation. Or maybe this suffering will bring the family closer together. Or maybe I'll be able to be a good witness to people around me in the hospital. Now, some of those things may be true. And if God chooses to bring some extra good like that that you can see immediately out of what you're going through, that's fantastic. Rejoice in that. But that's not what Romans 8.28 is promising here. You may go through terrible suffering and you may never meet anyone who's been like, through anything like you that you can help. Your family may go through suffering and rather than bring your family together, it might tear your family apart. Some people don't see any immediate, obvious good come from their suffering. That's not what this passage is promising. And so the last thing people need to hear is a little platitude like, Maybe God can use this to help someone else. Romans 8.28 is not that somehow some good might come out of this bad. No, God is promising for certain a particular good in all our suffering. Not one that we have to go searching for, but one that we can be sure about. Whatever our suffering The good is that you will be made like Jesus and you will share in his glory. And if you go and read some of the other passages about suffering in the New Testament, that is exactly the promise that God makes again and again about our suffering. And that's the promise God is making here. All creation is groaning and looking forward to the return of Jesus And if you are a follower of Jesus, the good that he's working through in your life is that you will get to share with him in glory. And in all things in your life, God is working towards that. So this passage is not asking us to pretend that there's no suffering or that suffering doesn't hurt. 
It's helping us to realise that no matter what, no matter how hard life gets, God wants you to know that he is using it for your good. So are you frustrated by work? Are you struggling with a long-term illness or sickness? Do you have family problems that will, in all probability, humanly speaking, never get sorted out? Do you feel like at times you've got nothing left to give? Do you have a relationship that you think is harder than it should be? Do you find your own struggle with sin at times overwhelming? God says, don't despair, groan. Long for and look forward to the future. And long for and look forward to the future with an unshakable confidence. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, nothing is more secure than your future. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, you've got God on your side. He's justified. You've got you. He's got, you've got Jesus on his side. He's at God's right hand speaking for you. Who dare can speak a word against you? Your future is secure. It is guaranteed because you can never be accused of being unworthy of your inheritance. No one can point a finger at you and say, you don't deserve to be there. No one can say, look at those things you did this week. Do you really think God will forgive you? Because it's not based on what you do. If you're, it's based on your trust of Jesus. It's based on Jesus' forgiveness. And we have Jesus standing at God's right hand saying, this one's mine. I died for her. I died for him. Who dares challenge Jesus and accuse us that we're not his? So if you trust Jesus, you right now are ready for that day. And God has his hand on you and your future is secure. You are secure. To feel the confidence of these verses, it just goes on, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that little phrase there. Notice that Paul doesn't say we are conquerors. He says that we are more 
than conquerors. What does that mean? How can you be more than a conqueror? Well, it's not just that God will get you through suffering. That would be to conquer. It's more than that. It's like we saw in verse 28. God actually uses the suffering in your life for your good. The very thing that is making your life hard at the moment, God is using even that for his good purposes. That's why we are more than conquerors. Suffering does not separate you from God's love. Suffering in the long run, in God's hand, in God's plan, will help you appreciate God's love all the more. We are more than conquerors. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? Maybe you think it's already happened to you. Can that thing separate you from God's love for you in Christ Jesus? Of course not. When God says that nothing in all of creation can separate you from his love, he means it. He loves you. He gave his son for you on the cross. And having done that, he now promises that whatever you might have to go through, he's got you. He's greater than your worst enemy. He's greater than your feelings. He's greater than your doubts. He's greater than the worst situation that you've been in or the worst situation that you will be in. He's greater than any suffering. He will never let you go. These, this passage fills us with incredible confidence. So this week, when life gets hard, if you feel like you can't cope, groan. Cry out to God by his spirit, but not in despair. Groan in hope. Lift your eyes to God and look forward to the future that he's promised. Verse 38. Let's end with verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the great confidence we can have in the troubles of this world. Not a confidence that comes from the way we respond or from our ability to endure, but a confidence that comes from your love that you called us, that you sent your son to die for us, that you made us right with you, that you gave us your spirit, and that you will keep us safe for that future inheritance. 
So, Father, as we suffer and groan in this world, please help us to see clearly the new creation to come, that we might groan in hope. Please lift us out of the suffering that we're in and help us to look to you and to see your love for us in Christ Jesus clearly. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.